This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Live from Joe's mom's basement. It's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're all going to be rich because we're talking the basics of real estate with author Michelle Kagan. Before that, we'll head over to our headline segment and find out the right age to start taking Social Security benefits. Of course, you know how much we love throwing a lifeline out to one lucky caller, and sure, we're going to wow you with my phenomenal real estate-themed trivia. And now, two guys who think that house flipping means turning those little houses in Monopoly upside down. (laughs) They just love doing that. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. They are so heavy. Have you tried it? That's why I don't do flipping. Wreck-It Ralph style. Yeah, I can't do it. I, I just can't do it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the real estate edition of Stacking Benjamins. I am Joe Saul Seahigh, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me on a Wednesday, it's Mr. OG. What's up, Joel? I, fan, I'm fantastic, Og. It's going very well. Uh, great show today. You know, for everybody wondering about real estate, and especially for those people that don't think they're real estate investors, I was surprised when I read Michelle's book because, you know, she widened it. She widened the entire discussion so that people were able to uh, get a much better view of of real estate. So she's coming on today. So that's exciting, huh? Can not wait to learn about stuff that I have to learn about. How many real estate? <laughs> how many? How many <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. How many real estate words do you know? 
seven. Well, I got to tell you, thanks to escrow. There it is. Thanks to Grammarly for supporting Stacky Benjamins. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people improve their writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. Start writing confidently by going to Grammarly.com forward slash SB to get 20% off a Grammarly premium account today. By the way, down payment is two words, isn't it? Oh, boy. We need Grammarly for that. Is down payment a single word? Two words? I think you need to check your Grammarly to see. Here's what I know about Grammarly. I will guess at which one it is, and I know it's going to be wrong ahead of time. Like, I totally know. Thanks, Grammarly. By the way, we're also brought to you by AcreTrader. Thanks to AcreTrader for supporting Stacking Benjamins. For more information on how to become a farmland investor through AcreTrader, visit acretrader.com forward slash SB. We'll talk about them later in the show today. But we got a great show. Speaking of acres, if you want acres and acres of land, maybe with a house on it, maybe not, you want to be a real estate investor, Michelle Kagan coming down to the basement. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our first headline comes to us from The Motley Fool. This is written by Sean Williams. How's this for clickbait, OG? This is the worst age to start taking Social Security benefits. What age do you think it is? 25? 19. <laughs> Maybe 16. Let's find out. So I clicked and here's what Sean had to say. Seniors will make a lot of important decisions, but few, if any, have as much bearing as deciding when to begin taking their Social Security retirement benefit. Every month, over 63 million people receive a benefit from the most successful social program in our nation's history, and 70% of those recipients and climbing are retired workers. Of these retirees, more than three out of five lean on their monthly payout to account for at least half their monthly income. Let's stop there. Three out of five OG lean on Social Security as at least half of their monthly income. Well, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. You can't chastise it. You can't say, well, shame on them. Sure. I mean, it is what it is at this point. Yes. No, this is uh, where this is where to, planning comes in. And don't get me wrong. Maybe yeah. everybody- If you're in your authorities, don't be that guy. Don't, please. It, try not to be that person. And I know what a struggle it is for some people, but man, it, it, just imagine waiting for that check. Don't want to be that person, if at all possible. Uh, Sean continues, therefore, these claiming decisions can have a huge impact on how much retirees will be receiving monthly as well as over their lifetime. Uh, You may be aware there's a handful of factors that go into determining what you'll be paid on a monthly basis by Social Security, assuming you're eligible to receive a retired worker benefit and have reached the eligible claiming history. I like people knowing this ahead of time because, as you know, part of this he's going to talk about is your work history. And even if you're young, you know, things are going to change. But even if you're young and you're listening to this, you want to know what's kind of baked into the equation. So here we go. First two factors, work history and earnings history go hand in hand. The Social Security Administration takes your 35 highest earning inflation adjusted years into account when determining your payout. That's why working a minimum of 35 years is so important. Otherwise, you're going to have a bunch of zeros average in for each year less than 35. A third important factor is your birth year, which determines your full retirement age, also known as retirement, normal retirement age by the Social Security Administration. Your full retirement age is the age at which you become eligible to receive 100% of your monthly payout, with most upcoming retirees likely having a full retirement age of 67. If you begin taking your benefit prior to reaching 67, 
you'll be accepting a permanent reduction to your monthly payout. In other words, for some people listening, it's 66. For most people, though, it's 67. If you go before that, you're going to have a reduced payout. You can start taking it at, at 62. So he says, that's the third thing. Fourth thing, he says, arguably the most important factor that determines what you'll get each month, you're claiming age. You can begin taking your payout as early as 62. However, Social Security incentivizes seniors to wait. This is a big number coming up here. For each year you hold off on taking your benefit, your payout will grow by approximately 8% up to age 70. All things being equal, an individual claiming at 70 could net as much as 76% more per month than an individual claiming at age 62, with the trade-off being that the person claiming at age 62 would receive a payout for eight years before the 70 year old would net their first check. And I think this is where people get kind of fouled up in the, in the logic here because what goes around in the circles of this is I don't want the government to hold on to my money or it's my money. I've earned it. I want to take the check today. And the big, the big increase by waiting even just the four years to full retirement age or five, if it's 67, but then beyond that, cascades into and throughout retirement. It benefits you immensely. You think about your age 85 benefit, and it also benefits your spouse if you're married, because if you pass away prematurely, they're going to get the higher of those two numbers as well. So they're going to get that kind of continued high number into and throughout their uh, remaining retirement years as well. And I think the other thing that's important to note here too is everybody says it's 8%. It's, it's at least 8%. Because they're also going to give you the cost of living adjustments throughout that time as well. So this upcoming year into 2020, kind of preliminary numbers came out. They're thinking it's going to be a 1.6, 1.8% cost of living adjustment for Social Security. If you were delaying, this year you'd get a 9.6% return on waiting. So it's some serious money. Well, listen to this. In a recently released report, The Retirement Solution, Hiding in Plain Sight, United Income analyzed data from approximately 2,000 households via the University of Michigan Health and Retirement Study, and they dove into what the best age would have been. And to your point, it's a little different for everybody, but whereas 80% of the people in the study began taking their payout before 65, the authors found the optimal claiming age for those was usually after their full retirement age. The data showed that 57% of individuals had an optimal claiming age of 70, which compared, by the way, to 4% of seniors today who are actually waiting until 70 to take the money. So the big news is, I think, I think we're all afraid we're going to die sooner than we probably really are, according to actuaries. And because of that, we take the benefit way, way, way earlier. Well, that's the thing, is that we look at our lives and say, from a risk management standpoint, we go, but I want the money now just in case, you know, something happens. But the reality is if you actually consider it from the real risk, which is living too long, you'll want to get the most money possible. Absolutely. But the problem is how do you know if you're the, uh, how do you know if you're the outlier or not? I mean, that's so hard. Whenever you talk to anybody about this decision, they always opt for taking it sooner because you just don't know, gee, you don't know what the future holds. Well, you don't. That's the thing. And you just have to you have to have plans for both sides of it, basically. I think that's why it's important to have money in other places. 
because if you've got money stashed away elsewhere, you can afford to wait and not worry about the government benefit. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. Our second headline comes to us from Investment News. This is written by Ryan W. Neal. Schwab Hybrid Robo sees early success with subscription pricing. This one's new. Yep. I heard about this too. Yeah. So Schwab has a robo advisor. For people who don't know what a robo advisor is, I think that's the biggest misnomer of all. <laughs> oh, gee. Because there's really no advising going on with a robo advisor. It's uh, w- w- what should we call it? Robo diversifier? Mm-hmm. Computer program. Sure. Computer programming rebalancer. Uh, that keeps you close to the efficient frontier? I don't know. Let's read. Charles Schwab is seeing positive early results on the new subscription pricing model for its Intelligent Portfolio's premium digital advice product. According to Backend Benchmarking's latest report on robo-advisors, Schwab's hybrid model, which combines automated investing with unlimited guidance and financial planning from a human-certified financial planner, attracted a billion dollars in the second quarter of 2019. 37% of that. So much freaking money, man. (laughs) Well, and I want to get back to that too. 37% of that came from clients who were new to the firm. In March, Schwab announced it was changing the pricing on its hybrid robo from a 28 basis point fee on assets under management to a flat $30 monthly fee, as well as a $300 upfront fee for new customers. Schwab still offers a free version of the product, Schwab Intelligent Portfolios, that provides limited guidance from human advisors. I wanted to walk into this. So this is this is the funny thing here, is that we said this a couple of years ago, OG, that people were making this false connection that a robo-advisor was the same thing as a human advisor. And clearly... When you see this huge amount of money going into these uh, the Schwab hybrid model where you actually get a human along with the robo, looks like it's a much better fit. Well, yeah, there's a time and a place for all the different levels of service that all these different providers have in their tool chest. You know, whether it's a completely hands off, no financial planning, you know, you just have your money in and it gets rebalanced for you automatically and maybe some tax loss harvesting a la Betterment or a Wealthfront or something like that. That's right for some people at some stage of their life. And a subscription model, like what Schwab launched a, little, uh, you know, a couple months ago, is also right for some people at some stage of their lives. And so is a full-service financial planning wealth management model that some firms have. So I think that all this does is it helps people get good advice at different stages of their lives where maybe they might've been priced out before, or maybe the service wasn't available or there just wasn't good service because that subscription type thing. I mean, think of it this way. If you're a business owner and you're going to charge $30 a month for a person to give financial advice to, how many clients do you have to have before you can pay your mortgage? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like sometimes there's just not a way to do that. You know what I mean? So what happens is you can find that you know firms have minimums and that sort of thing. And no, that's not wrong. It just makes it so that other people at different places in their life maybe can't access the same level of help. Uh, so I think this is a good thing. I think it's a really good thing. I think it's frustrating to see so many people hire a robo and think, oh, I'm getting the same quality advice that I would get with a human. You're not getting any advice. You're getting nothing. You're, you're getting diversification a couple of times. You're getting a pre-diversified portfolio 
and you're getting rebalancing. Yeah. And that's right for some people at some stage of their lives. Possibly. But I think that this idea of having both is a way better idea. Like have somebody smart in your corner who helps you financially. And I'm not talking about just a financial advisor. I'm just saying somebody smart in your corner who's further along the path than you who can help you out. And don't compare that to what a robo does, which this merging of of all of these programs, this is not surprising to either of us, is it? Well, no. And I know that there's people who are on my side of the fence, right? And the advisor business that see this as a threat maybe to their business. And I just simply don't. I think it's just a really great thing that other people are getting help at different stages of their lives. So, you know, I like it. Yeah. I think when it comes to good advice, you know who I really like getting advice from, OG? Grammarly. I love getting advice from Grammarly, especially when I'm writing. Thanks to Grammarly for supporting Stacky Benjamins. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people improve their writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. They encourage all the stacking community, even the best students and top professionals. And isn't that who listens to the show? Come on, let's be realistic. Best students, top professionals. That's us. Two, use Grammarly to do their best work and accomplish even more of their goals. So what is it? It's a writing assistant that makes you look and sound smarter. Start off the school year here by easily improving yourself and your communication, whether it is at school, at work, or almost anywhere with Grammarly. They help you show your best self through writing. They're available across platforms like Chrome, Firefox, Safari, Edge, iOS, Android, Windows, Mac, pretty much everywhere. Their free product will go over critical spelling and grammar, but Grammarly Premium, what I use, looks out for spelling grammar plus the stuff I always mess up, which is the advanced punctuation, structure, style within context, vocabulary suggestions, conciseness, that's not my strong suit, and readability (laughs) for different occasions, Uh, whether it's a business proposal, academic essay, casual blog post, maybe a script for a podcast, whatever that might be. So stop making those email typos on your phone, close more deals at work with your email, polish your resume to get that new job. It's funny, uh, you and I know a guy, we both know a guy in the financial industry He is a guy that was a vice president of a big financial company. And this dude would send out emails. He came across like a smart guy, but he would send out emails that were just trash. And they, they kind of helped trash his reputation. And you know exactly who I'm talking about. I don't know who you're talking about, but allegedly I do. Yeah. Yeah. I think you will. I won't say their name, but the second I tell you their name, you go, oh yeah, that guy's emails were horrible. Just unbelievable. And he had an assistant, like a human assistant, not Grammarly, (laughs) help him with his emails. And he should have run stuff by her instead. But you don't even have to ask somebody to look at it if you've got Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com forward slash SB and get this. You're going to get 20% off your Grammarly premium account today. That's Grammarly.com forward slash SB for 20% off your Grammarly premium account. I think our takeaways here, OG, number one is that social security, I get that we think we're the outlier, OG, but everything about this piece we read today says you probably want to take social security a little later, if at all possible. Almost uniformly, that's true. Yep. And then the second takeaway is that uh, robo-advisor you're working with, all the robos are going toward human advice. And why is that? Because a lot of smart people realize that advice and robo-advice, not the same thing.
We're so happy to have her back here in the basement. And there's nobody I know who's better at talking about 101 anything. The first time she came down to the basement, she was talking about the infographic guide to personal finance, a really easy way to through pictures and everything. Mom likes it better because there's pictures, but using pictures, you can understand personal finance better. Then she came back to the basement to talk budgeting 101, but something that's near and dear to her heart and ours is real estate investing 101. That's her new book from Simon & Schuster. She does a great job here at explaining to all of us who are not big time real estate investors about how you too can take part in real estate. Because if you know real estate, real estate and stocks historically, by real estate, I mean REITs, real estate and stock historically over long periods of time, both those indexes have done about the same. So they're the two asset classes that historically have reliably kicked inflation's butt. So if you don't want to know stocks, real estate's a great extra. But how about this? I don't think it's about one or the other. It's probably about both. And here to talk about real estate 101, it's our good friend, Michelle Kagan. And coming down the stairs to the basement, back for her third time, it's our good friend, Michelle Kagan. How are you? I'm good. I've hit the trifecta. You have? (laughs) Well, third time. I know. And mom, I don't know if she's already given you the special third time cupcake, but you've got that coming. Mm, cupcakes are good. Isn't that? They are evil good. I, I've i never met a cupcake I didn't like. Unless, by the way, unless there's German chocolate on it. I'm, the coconut thing is not for me. Well, you can just scrape that part off because I've never met a cupcake I didn't eat. <laughs> Even the German chocolate. You just take off a little bit of the icing. All good. And there you go. Well, let's do the 101 of Real Estate 101. I like the way you open up this argument about real estate, which is... A lot of people, Michelle, think that real estate is just either flipping houses or buying rental properties and holding them. You make the point that real estate investors, there's a lot of different ways to be a real estate investor. Yeah, that's true. And most of them take so much less money than having to come up with a down payment for a physical house. There's probably a dozen other ways to invest in real estate and that you could start with like as opposed to trying to come up with $20,000. Let's go into a few of those because we have a lot of people, I'd say three or four a quarter saying, you know what? I really want to invest in real estate, but I don't have the money. What are some other ways people can dive in? Well, most other real estate investing revolves around something called REITs, which are real estate investment trusts, which are sort of like stocks, but in physical real estate. So like when you own a stock, you own a piece of a company. When you own a share of a REIT, you own a share of a physical property or a whole portfolio of physical properties. Usually it's, you know, commercial buildings or big um, high rises and you they trade over the stock exchange. You could buy one share if you want to. And holding just one share in a REIT, you own let's say 20 shopping malls, a piece of 20 shopping malls. And then there's um, mutual funds and exchange traded funds that invest in REITs. So then you could own a whole bunch of REITs with one share of a fund, again, $30, $50, $20, and you own a whole bunch of real estate. 
overnight. The, the, well, and the thing that I, that comes to mind immediately, I think that's attractive for that for people just starting out is that there's a lot to know about real estate. And when you buy a REIT, a REIT has a professional manager who's buying these properties and trying to make sure they buy just attractive stuff. Oh, yeah, they do. They know what they're doing. And you, if you look at a REIT, you can see exactly what properties they hold. There's a great website that has a list of every single REIT that's available and what type they are, what they hold, their returns. I think it's just REIT.com. It's run by a company called REIT, which is like REIT Central. Um, and the other awesome thing about REITs is that they have to, by law, pass 90% of their profits straight through to investors. Have to. Well, well, or they can't be a REIT. Yeah, which means there's a nice big dividend check coming your way. Yeah, and it's steady. I mean, they have to do it every single year. So you never won't get that. It's funny because I've seen REITs a lot of the time, Michelle, compared with bonds because of that big dividend, but they really kind of are different beasts. They're sort of halfway between stocks and bonds. Unlike bonds, they're not fixed. Like a bond has a fixed interest rate. You're going to get that same interest rate all the time. REITs, the income level is based on rents. So if the if rental prices go up, your REIT dividend gets bigger. So there's room for growth and also property values go up. So there's room for appreciation. So that's where it's like stocks. But because it's sort of a fixed income investment where you know you're going to be getting a dividend regularly, it's also like a bond. It's kind of the best of both worlds. A few years ago. I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah. You can't tell. I'm a big fan. No, I am too. I think it's a lot more hands off. I think with the professionals and also, listen, you know, when you can get away from single property risk and spread that risk among a few different communities, that's generally a, a good thing. I mean, it's the same kind of thing as you, if you can only buy stock in one company and that's your whole portfolio, you're better off buying a mutual fund. So if you're not going to be an actual landlord or living in the same property that you're renting, it's a better way to start to expand your portfolio. You, you go into several other here that we won't go into today, but just to kind of round out what you were talking about with lots of different ways to invest real estate industry related stocks, maybe like builders, things like that. Mortgage backed securities and mortgage debt funds are some other ways people can get involved in, in the real estate business. I want to ask about one area in particular, because we've seen a rise of this lately with all the new crowdfunding rules that came yeah. about the last few years. <laughs> You now have these companies out there saying, hey, we will buy real estate. You put money into our fund. What do you think about those opportunities? I think those opportunities you need to be a little more careful with and stick with a crowdfunded platform that's been around for a long time and successful. Here's why they're different. With a REIT, you're buying into shares of properties they already own. With crowdfunded, they don't own the properties yet. The properties may not even be built yet. So there's a much bigger risk factor, which is why they also promise higher returns because there's a, a bigger risk involved. Yeah. And I, I, I'm glad you bring that up because I think a lot of people that the, these companies are attracting don't realize that, like don't realize just how much more risk there is with that versus a publicly traded REIT. Yeah. It's not quite the same thing. I mean, for example, if, if you're getting crowdfunded into you know, like a development that's going to be built. What if there's an earthquake and it never gets built? You lose your money. Let's go into something that you bring up very early in the book, 
which is five reasons to invest in real estate. There might be people listening going, you know, I'm doing fine with stocks, with bonds, with whatever else I have. You make a great case about why you might want to put real estate in your portfolio. And the first reason you have is that it's real. Explain what you mean by that. (laughs) Okay. Unlike stocks and bonds and even money, real estate is actually something you can touch. There's a physical thing. And even if on paper, the value goes to zero, you still have something. You have a house you can live in. You have land you can farm. You have something that you can do something with it and it can bounce back in value because it's a real thing. Yeah, there's utility. I mean, somehow, some way you can make that work for you. Absolutely. Plus, there's a limited supply. There's a limited amount of land and there will never be more. So supply and demand, there are more and more people in the world and the amount of land isn't growing. You also say that you have more control with real estate, which is true if you own it yourself. Is that kind of the case against a REIT? Because if you have a REIT, you don't really have control. If you own the property outright, you have control. Or is there more control with a REIT? Well, the REIT has control, more control over a physical property than they would over a company that has to sell things. Oh, I get There are things they can do to improve the property, to make it more valuable. They can raise the rents on tenants. They have more control over the properties that they hold, just like as a physical property owner or rental real estate owner, you can put a new roof on, you can upgrade the AC, you can put solar panels. There's a lot you can do that you have control over that it doesn't involve anybody else reacting to what you're doing. Whereas if you have a mutual fund and there is a manager and more people are going with passive mutual funds, but let's say it's an active manager and unless they're an activist trying to get on the board and change the company, very few managers do that. You don't, but even then you don't have as much control. No. I mean, cause you can't control the market. You can't control there's, yeah. There's so much less you can control than you can with real estate. Number two, you say real estate diversifies your portfolio. Obviously, it's a different investment, but you get a little more analytical about this. It's very math heavy, which I will not get into. But basically, real estate doesn't act like stocks and it doesn't act like bonds. It acts more like bonds than like stock, but not the same. So when stocks are going down, real estate might be going up or real estate will be going down a lot less than stocks are going down. It helps balance out the risk of both stocks and bonds in your portfolio by moving in a completely different way. Yeah, I know. Back when I was a financial planner, Michelle, we'd uh, construct portfolios, but once again, in a very math heavy way. And we noticed uh, in our practice that adding 10% real estate to a lot of our portfolios over the long term that those people nary that you were mentioning earlier they keep an index the nary index over long mm-hmm. periods of time that index does about the same as the stock market in the 10% range however uh to get there it was a much different glide path getting to that 10% which was really cool cuz you could add real estate to the portfolio and to your point if somebody had an emergency and needed to withdraw money because you had that, it was almost like adding a new spice to the mix that made it equally as exciting to eat. I'm, I'm, I'm working on this analogy. <laughs> made it equally as exciting to eat, but it gave it a, a, a different texture that was, 
you know, uh, less risky, I guess. Well, yeah, it's like it's like the difference between taking an escalator and taking a roller coaster to get to the same place. Yeah, yeah. Great. I like the escalator. That's much better than mine. I'm going to use. I'm going to steal your analogy from here Perfect. on out. You're way better <laughs> at that than me. Uh, you know, there might be authorship in your future. I don't know. Maybe you could write books or something. Think about it. <laughs> uh, uh, correlation, by the way, and not to get too far in the weeds because you've written books about investing and well, you've written books about a lot of different things, looking at correlation and how your assets correlate a big part of your success. Absolutely. When your portfolio holds things that all work the same way, for example, if you have a hundred percent stocks, if the stock market crashes, they're all gone. Or if, you know, the economy is, does what it, goes down and stocks go down, real estate or bonds might go up. So it's really important to have things that don't behave the same way as each other. Well, I guess correlations like about behavior. And, 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 and even, um, even all real estate doesn't correlate. I mean, I mean, they're all not the same. Absolutely true. Like if you look around a lot of towns, like shopping malls are disappearing, but you know, Apartment complexes and hospitals are getting built or nursing homes, cell towers are, you know, are happening. So and even in different parts of the country, like real estate in the Midwest might be going up while real estate on the coast might be going down. It, there's a lot of differences in the way real estate, different kinds of real estate and different geographical areas of real estate work. Yeah. I, and I like your analogy, by the way, in your book about uh uh, uh, vacant land versus commercial versus residential in general, just those three things. And and you even <laughs> split them even further out, but just those three things in general, then you take mortgage backed securities is something totally different. Yeah. Not as, yeah. <laughs> all over the place. Uh, next up is you say it's a good inflation cushion. One of the reasons that you need to invest, everybody needs to invest and not just save because investing and saving are absolutely not the same thing, even though we call it retirement savings. It's not. It's retirement investing because inflation is going to happen. And savings does not keep up with inflation, but investing does. So especially real estate is a good way to invest, to take advantage of inflation, actually. Inflation is the fact that prices go up. Well, that means real estate prices go up too. So inflation carries real estate right along with it, which also means rents go up. And if you own rental properties or shares in REITs or funds that own REITs, when that rent goes up because of inflation, your income is going to go up right along with it. And and you make this case very well. This is why you had to be worried about vacant land, because even though vacant land will kind of go up with inflation, you're not going to get that extra kick, which is the rent, which is mm-hmm. what brings you up closer to or equal to what the stock market does over long periods of time. Absolutely. Yeah. The carrying cost is, is, is tough. Uh, next is steady returns and reduced risk. Well, real estate has almost always very steady returns. Obviously there are going to be times when something is vacant or, or it's not returning perfectly, but property is productive. It produces income either because it's a farm or timberland or something like that. That's actually productive land or it's handing you rents from businesses, from people, from college dorm rooms. And it's passive income, which is also nice. And it's also consistent. 
rent people pay rent every month all the time. They have leases. It's a long time. They're locked in. Businesses even longer. Businesses usually have 10 and, and 12 year leases. So it's very steady. It's pretty low risk because everybody needs somewhere to live. Every business needs somewhere to house themselves. People need places to be. As you're talking, people listening might be thinking, as I am, about 2007, 2008, and the real estate crisis. As you're talking, though, I'm also thinking that's not as much about, I mean, don't get me wrong, real estate was blowing up, but it wasn't real estate as much as it was leverage. It was. If you weren't trying to sell your house then, and you were able to cover your mortgage, it didn't affect you. It affected people who were over leveraged and couldn't afford their mortgages. And it affected people who needed to sell their houses, needed to sell. That's a horrible trap to be caught in. And I work with a lot of, I've worked with a lot of people who were stuck in it and it took a long time to dig back out of that. But I'm, (laughs) I'm a big fan of not over leveraging yourself. Yeah. I'm a big fan of if you're going to buy a house, you put 20% down. And I know that's kind of old fashioned and a lot of people don't, don't really like that advice, but it's the safest way to do it. Yeah. I, well, I love that advice. In fact, OG and I were just talking about this recently about the fact that that 20% down forces people to learn how to save a big chunk of money before you even get involved with an asset like real estate that if you're buying a house could be illiquid, you know, I mean, you can't, you can't peel off your bathroom, Michelle, to go to Home Depot. You know? No, if you can't save up the down payment, what are you going to do when your roof leaks or your water heater explodes or any non- number of the millions of things that happen with physical real estate? Yeah. Last on here is real estate creates wealth. And I think this is obviously the most attractive reason for me to own real estate. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing about real estate. It's get rich slow. It's not going to get you rich overnight. Building true wealth with real estate takes a long time. But the other way it creates wealth is with leverage. And I don't believe in being over leveraged, but being properly leveraged is a great thing. Um, If you have $20,000 that you want to invest You could buy $20,000 worth of stocks, $20,000 worth of bonds, $20,000 worth of Bitcoin, or you could buy a $100,000 house, which is going to serve your wealth better in the long run, the house. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because somebody made this point earlier, back to that leverage thing. Leverage is why during upswings in real estate, more people come out as winners and talk about how, you know, all the get rich quick people. Cause as you know, Michelle, different than your book and what we're talking about today, the responsible side of real estate, which makes sense. I mean, you even make the point that real estate is one of the top asset classes. I thought this was funny for people in the three comma club, uh, which is billionaires. If you've got three <laughs> commas in your net worth, those people love real estate. And if you want to be wealthy, look at what the top people invest in. Um, so it's this, but the get rich quick people come out because of leverage, but you also have to remember leverage is the giant flushing system when things go poorly, like it washes more people out. So being, being, being careful of that. Yes. And the other, the smaller way that it helps create wealth is it's one of the very, I would say, actually it's the only super tax advantaged investment. It has the most tax advantages 
by far. And the new tax law made it even more that way. Explain this for a second, because people don't understand this. And this is why I've seen real estate when it comes to that, that dividend payment is attractive when compared to a lot of bonds, because especially in the REIT universe, my understanding is the tax advantage is partly that part of your check may be a return of principal. Is that how? Yes, part of it may be that. So it, it's not taxed necessarily the same way. Yeah. And it may not be 100% taxed. And with physical property, it's it's even bigger because you get the advantage of depreciation, which is an expense on paper that you don't pay any money for. So it's almost like a tax gift where you, you get a huge tax deduction, but you haven't put out any money. There's no Social Security and Medicare tax on real estate rental income. So you don't have to place self-employment tax on it, save you some taxes there. And there's also this great thing called the 1031 exchange, which used to be available for other kinds of assets, but now real estate only. And in the simplest forms is you can trade up for another property or trade one property for two properties. And you don't have to pay, you don't have to sell it sell one property, pay capital gains and buy another property. You could just put the entire amount that you would have sold it for into the new property. So you get sort of a, it's like a rolling benefit. Yeah. Build your empire more without so much friction. Yeah, exactly. So if you have a hundred thousand dollar property and you have to pay $20,000 capital gains tax, when you sell it, you have $80,000 to put into the new property. But if you skip that tax part, you have $100,000 to put in your new property and you're already ahead on equity. Yeah. Uh, the book is called Real Estate Investing 101. We, we actually touched on the different parts of your book, but it goes everything from the world of real estate investing to how to profit from residential properties, building wealth, flipping houses. We didn't get into that too much. Real estate on the side, the next level, like choosing a next level financial advisor, mortgage REITs, equity REITs, how those things work, uh, new trends in real estate. At, like we didn't get into this either. And this is a phenomenal thing. Senior co-housing boom. That's a, oh, that's yeah. a huge, huge area. And then uh, pay less taxes. Like we were just talking about now, where, where do we get the book, Michelle? You can get it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere books are sold. Anywhere. So great <laughs> to talk to you. By the way, this isn't all you have going on. You always have so much else going on. Tell me if uh, people want more from you, what's going on with Michelle Kagan besides uh, cranking out new awesome books? <laughs> you can keep up with me at michellekagancpa.com, my website, or on Facebook or Twitter. Nice. And I'll link to all those. If you're walking the dog or on your commute, we'll link to those on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. So glad you're back in the basement, Michelle. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks so much for having me and thanks for the cupcake. Hey, trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And you know, Michelle, she just dropped a whole ton of knowledge about real estate. But don't worry, beginners, I got you covered. I'm here to help you keep up. Here's a question for you. What does the real estate mortgage term APR stand for? APR. It's a pretty tough one. I'm going to give you a break here. Listen to some other people talk for a second. You can think about it. Probably not going to get it. It's pretty tough. I'll be right back with your answer.
Thanks to AcreTrader for supporting Stacking Benjamins. You know, you grew up, maybe not, did you grow up in farm country? You had farms all uh, around where you no. grew up. Went out to my grandma and grandpa's all the time. Did you work on, on their farm at all? Yeah. If you're familiar with farming at all, or even if you're not familiar with farming, uh, you may want to check out AcreTrader. AcreTrader does something that didn't used to be available before this crowdsourcing idea and laws were passed so that you could crowdsource this. Because imagine trying to buy a whole field. No way can most of us afford a whole field. Well, AcreTrader makes it much easier because they divide that field into little tiny pieces and you can own a piece of farmland. You might be asking yourself, all right, I heard Michelle Kagan earlier. What's the big idea with farmland? Well, farmland is a pretty boring investment, but not, in my opinion, in a bad way. You'll see that historically the gyrations with farmland versus with commercial or residential real estate are less because there's fewer and fewer. There be fewer and fewer. Grammarly telling me because there be fewer and fewer acres available every year for planting. That means farmland is more valuable all the time. You've seen lots of pros go in purchasing real estate. And that, by the way, does not make it better on its own. But when you look at why that is, as a diversification part of your portfolio, Acre Trader and farmland in general can be a great place to invest. So if you want to know more about how to invest in farmland through Acre Trader, who handles all the aspects of administration and property management, they take care of the insurance, the accounting, working with the farmers, improving soil sustainability. They take care of all the hard work. Head to acretrader.com forward slash SB. That's acretrader.com forward slash SB. Welcome back, Trivia Junkies. And speaking of knowledge, of course, I'm about to wow you with mine. That's why you're listening, right? What could be better? My question was this. Uh, what does the real estate mortgage term APR stand for? Gather around, kids, because I'm about to drop a knowledge bomb on you. Ready? APR stands for Annual Percentage Rate. Century 21's awesome glossary lists uh, APR as the cost the borrower pays over a loan period. <laughs> yeah, I'd never use like some directory to get this information or, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't even like print it and read it off. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. What do I need to do that for? I mean, it's all swimming around up here in my, my head. I don't need to print stuff. No, no, that noise you heard. See, that was like the the wrapper from the sixth uh, uh, sausage, cheese, and egg biscuit I've had today. So, but definitely that was not what APR stood for. Like printed out on a piece. I just I wouldn't do it. It's not me. It's not who Old Doug is. So see ya. I like this idea, OG, of the fact that you can be a real estate investor. And you don't have to be flipping houses. You don't have to be a landlord. Thanks again to Michelle Kagan for hanging out with us. But the fact that you could buy a REIT and there's many, many different types of REIT. Like I think being a real estate investor is easier now than it's ever been. Well, what you're trying to do really is just to diversify your investment portfolio. So there's many ways to do that. There's many different levels of effort that you can put into doing that. So it can be buying a place, flipping a place, buying a REIT, public or private. There's a whole bunch of different solutions to that. So you can be in real estate. 
but not being real estate. Yeah, I've got real estate in my portfolio in two different ways. Number one is I have REITs, which if you just go back, if you, if you missed Michelle's interview, you might want to go back and hit that one if you're not familiar with how REITs work. But also I own one rental property and I know, OG, you own a few rental properties as well. Oh yeah, they're big giant sucking holes of money. So well, that's a sucking <laughs> with an S. <laughs> Just for the just for the recording purposes. <laughs> just so everybody knows what you yeah. didn't say. Yeah, I did say that. They uh, presently are holes of money. But the idea is, is that we are trying to break even. If on an annual basis, we can break even from a cash flow standpoint and somebody else is paying the mortgage down, off we go. It's winner, winner, chicken dinner. Fantastic. The mortgage gets paid down and the land continues to appreciate. Over long periods, not in these towns, but <laughs> not where you're buying them. You're a savvy investor, my friend. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Just real estate investing the way you're doing it, not for everybody, and it's a little bit of a <laughs> little bit of hands on. I don't mean I don't mean not doing the math. <laughs> I'm talking about just buying a bunch of properties. Maybe not for everybody. I own one rental house, and it's all I want to own. I do not want to own more. There's, yeah. there's no way. Well, this uh, I was planning on just having I have a triplex and I was planning on just keeping that. And then another deal came up and it was uh, kind of those too good to be trues. And it's it was true. It was too. It wasn't true. It was a great deal. So, you know, you just yeah. again, it's, sure. a little, it's, a, it's a calculated risk, but I think it would be all right. Hey, let's roll with Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important Fine. questions. Our, our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency they put what you value first. As I had it this past weekend, I would take uh, two pickles on my hot dog Ugh. since that's going around right now. And uh, while I was at it, I had a cheeseburger with a pickle on it also. Not great. So, did, did you see the person in our basement Facebook group though talking about the, I think it was a North Carolina dog with the slaw on it? Mm, mm. Coleslaw and hot dog. Those are your two favorite things. Yeah. yeah. Mixed, mixed together. You should just dice it up. Did you ever have... When you were had your kids, did you put ever put hot dogs in mac and cheese? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Two great tastes that go great together. We used to do uh, hamburger and mac and cheese. That's good. They had this crazy creation for a while. I know. Back up. Hold on. It was called Hamburger Helper, which yeah. was macaroni and cheese. It's neither hamburger nor helping anything. <laughs> it's not. It's not at all. Ugh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Th those are good things to value, but it's your loved ones and your time, it says right here. And if you want more time, you go through Haven Life because they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now and you'll get a free quote. Their application, super simple and online. It's amazing how fast you can get that done. Just uh, wh why waste your time getting life insurance when you can just go to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. All right. Today, we're throwing out the Haven Lifeline to Jerry. Say hi, Jerry. Hello, Joe. Just a comment about the recent show which discussed long-term care insurance. I was disappointed to listen to that episode because the quote-unquote expert has uh, links to the insurance industry. They're paid by the insurance industry, and they're overall selling the concept. The truth is the numbers she gave were very misleading. This 70% of people that need long-term care, that's true only because they count anybody who, for example, after a knee surgery, 
is moved from a hospital temporarily for a day or two to a nursing home. That counts under their 70%. The truth is the actual numbers are of the people who buy long-term care, 70% of those people never use the insurance. And it's really not a good deal. You would be better off, most people would be better off if they have assets to invest that money and let it grow and then pass it on to their heirs if they don't need it and they can self-fund. But uh, her portrayal of this, it was very misleading and it was a sales pitch. If we're going to talk about a topic we ought to have a neutral person that isn't affiliated with the industry discussing the pros and cons. Thanks for uh, that comment. Thank you. You're welcome, Jerry. <laughs> thank, thank you for that comment, Jerry. And it's funny because I wanted to play that live because of the fact that this OG, this is where people know just enough to get in the weeds in completely the wrong way. And it's so, it was frustrating for me when I was a financial advisor. It's frustrating now. You and I, by the way, and Jerry, we've talked about long-term care a lot on this show. I don't sell long-term care insurance. I'm not a financial advisor. I, I put it in our, our list of topics as often as I can because this is a huge issue. Number one, it's a huge issue. Number two, I went specifically to an industry insider because we hear from everybody else on the internet, but we never hear from the experts at these companies about what they do. So number one, are we getting a sales pitch? Sure. Absolutely. From somebody that sells insurance? Yes. Yes, you are. Number two. And, and I think everybody understood that because number two, I even said that before they came on. I said, we listen to a lot of other people talk about long-term care. Let's talk to what's happening inside the industry from an insider. By the way, at the risk, from my point of view, at the risk of the fact that I would get a voicemail from Jerry saying that we had an industry insider on, but I did that on purpose. Now, the next thing, and I'm not going to debate her numbers or your numbers. I'm going to bring up a third party like you said in your voicemail, Rick Edelman. Rick Edelman has my favorite book about personal finance. Rick Edelman also listed often, uh, how many times has he been Barron's number one advisor of the year? Uh, many times, lots of books, well-known dude has uh, a fantastic following. Rick talks about insurance and he talks about insurance that is priced very low versus insurance products that are priced very high. And insurance is a very competitive business. It's incredibly competitive. So when you look at car insurance versus homeowner's insurance, what you find is car insurance costs more than homeowner's insurance. Why is that? Hopefully, it's not because the average car in America costs more than a house. No, that's, that's not why. It's because the chance of you having a car accident is far bigger, far greater than having a problem with your home. So if you do that math, you see people buy accidental death and dismemberment insurance all the time. Why? Because it's pennies on the dollar. And they're like, oh, look at this. I just spent a few pennies. It's horrible. For the average person, it's absolutely horrible insurance. There's no way that the average person needs accidental death and dismemberment insurance. You know, hurricane policies. You look a lot of cancer coverages. And I'm not saying these aren't good for somebody. Sure they are. Absolutely. Which brings up 
Jerry's main point about long-term care. And I also find it interesting, OG, that it's men. And, and it's funny how Sean Britt, when she was the woman on the show, when she came on, the very first thing she did was she said, it's men. And the second I bring up statistics, she said, you know, it's not always, always. She goes, but it's generally men who go, yup, statistics are wrong. Or I'm the difference in the statistic. The thing about long-term care, there's a reason it costs so much, Jerry. There's a reason it costs a ton. And it's because of the fact that their experience in claims has gotten them hammered, which we also talked about during that interview. So maybe her stats were misleading. Maybe your stat is misleading that it's not going to happen to you. All I do is I look at the price point of the type of insurance that you're buying and either every company in that area is ripping everybody off. The insurance industry altogether is ripping everybody off or, or they're just Complicit might. Complicit with the states because the states have to improve the pricing. Right. That's right. The states are in on it. The insurance commissioners of every state are also in on it. It's the states, the insurance company and the Illuminati all got together to make sure that they're ripping us off or. The chance of it happening to you might be a little higher than you want them to be. Anyway, that's the end of my rant. But thanks for calling in, Jerry, because I know if, listen, if Jerry called us about this, there's 50 people thinking it. There's hundreds yeah. of people thinking. Yeah. And I mean, I don't have to add anything to this, but I'm going to because, you know, because you're all fired up. I'll get it too. Let me get some. I just Googled this because I don't, I don't know the up-to-date numbers. I've always used kind of a two-thirds number. Two thirds of people need some care. And that's how I phrase it. So I don't know how, you know, I don't remember how it was phrased on the show, but this is the um, Department of Health and Human Services for the federal government. It says here that 70%, I'm sorry, I'm rounding, 69% of people will require some care. And then it's, and then it further categorizes it into at home care or facility care. And the other thing, too, to think about who's here your, is who's your source on that? I'm sorry. Uh, this is the Department of Health and Human Services. No, gotcha. You know, now the federal government's in on the scam too. But anyways, you know, a lot of times we think about this stuff as going somewhere, right? Like, oh, I'm not going to need to go. And I think you might've brought this up is a certain number of people don't go to a nursing home or a certain number of people don't require care at a facility of some kind, right? Or they're there, but they don't require, you know, much care and that sort of stuff. But I think given the opportunity, I think the refrain that I hear from people who are dealing with this with with their parents is mom and dad want to stay at home if they can. And if you're not covering that or at least thinking about how to cover that care, then that care is going to fall sure. onto somebody else. It's right. going to be, you know, your sister or your brother-in-law or whatever. And it might be something just as simple as three days a week, we got to check in and make sure mom's taking her pills. It's not full-time care. And I think the longer that you can make people comfortable, whether it's at their own home or or you don't need full-on 24-hour assistance, the better life is. And when it comes to when it comes to this type of stuff, where you're trying to decide whether or not should I buy insurance that I may not ever use, woe is me, by the way. Right? It's not like you're gonna be laying in your hospital bed, your family gathered around and they go, Do you have any regrets? You go, Yeah, I do. It's that I paid for long-term care and I just died peacefully in my sleep. It's like you know, I bought I bought homeowners insurance and my house never burned down. And I never caught never caught on fire. This is really this is sucky. So I mean, it's there for a reason. There is a level of financial acumen where maybe not acumen, financial level, I guess, right? Where 
you have to be to buy it, be able to afford the insurance. Cause you also have another plan. You have the government plan already. You know what I mean? Like they have those plans for people that can't afford their own. And that's fine too. Well, and, but, and on the other side, listen, we're not apologizing for the insurance industry. I think we're just trying to get the facts straight because there's also the other one, which Jerry brings up. If you have enough assets and you're okay with handling the risk yourself, yeah, then do it. Then you should. Yeah. Then you've you got it covered. Should. The biggest problem we see is that people don't even consider it. And right. then there's people that are in that middle ground who consider it and offhand. And like Sean said, a lot of times it's men offhand just go, yeah, not going to happen to me. Or what happens if it happens to one person and not two? Well, and the other person's perfectly fine and it, the other person used up all the money. I mean, there's so many different things, but, combinations to this. And if you remember, that was the biggest one of all, though. I mean, yeah. that that to me is the biggest one. It's person number one uses it. Person number two lives in another 20 years and they're screwed. They're yeah. gone. Yeah. I, so I wanna, everybody's situation is unique. But this is no different than any type of other, you know, insurance type stuff. You've got to evaluate it on your own. I want to address one last thing that Jerry said. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hello, Joe. Oh, good to hear from you again, Jerry. He's, he's, he's like, well, allow me to retort. Hello, Joe, I'm back. <laughs> I'm back. This is the thing I read all the time. In 1995, I was talking about this 2000, 2005, 2010. And again today, here's a better way. If you have assets, OG, just invest that money instead and let it grow. Buy term insurance and invest the difference, right? Forget the insurance and invest your money. Two things there. Number one, nobody ever does it. That's number one. It just doesn't happen. The great news is for Jerry, he sounds like a guy who might do it. But you and I have had the pleasure of working with lots of families and individuals, and nobody ever does it. This is where we get into behavioral economics, OG. Just people behaviorally, it just doesn't happen. You go blow it on other stuff. Or what happens if you've got your fund and then your other money didn't do as well as you thought? Do you raid your long-term care fund to put food on the table? Yeah, it's got to be what we called, I don't know if you call it this, but we called it glad bag money. You got to put it in like a hefty bag. This money, because you can't touch it for anything. It's got to set over there and it's got to stay Except over there. Except you would. You know, just this one time, my son's out of work. Yeah. And I need to help him make his mortgage payment. But it, that's what happens sometimes. So, you know, again, it's uniquely personal. Know yourself. If you're able to pull that off and maybe you're blessed with really good genes that you're going to live forever and go, you know, go in your sleep or you're best blessed with really bad genes and you're not going to live forever and you're going to go like that. Either way is okay, I suppose, on the long-term care front. But um, I witnessed it. I had four grandparents, right? And they both were alive. All four of them were alive for a really long time. My one grandfather passed away in his sleep at 73. My grandmother had, on that side, had Lou Gehrig's disease for 11 years. Oh, 11 years. And they said she was going to make it 18 months. Yeah, right. My grandma's a stubborn woman. And then my other two grandparents, my one grandpa lived until he was 97. My other grandma lived till she was 95 almost. And both of them were in homes at $7,000 a month at the end. And my grandpa was working in his company. He owned a company. He was working in his company at 91. And you already know that this isn't, this isn't grandma and grandpa's problem either. You're going to outlive all of them, statistically speaking, yeah. and your kids are going to way outlive you. 
So it's right. much more your kid's problem that is yours. And it's much more your problem that is your parents or your grandparents. Yeah. It's, it's so, uh, so frustrating. Go team. Uh, that was fun. Uh, uh, Dana, what's, what's, do you think he wants his free t-shirt anyway? What, he's going to get one, man. I, I think it's brave to call up and go, Hey man, I want to yeah. dispute this. So nice job. Cause that means there was some clarification that needed to happen there. And once again, I don't sell insurance, but I hear so many wacko people talk about it. Let's do something crazy. Let's have somebody that actually works in there and sees this stuff all the time. Come on the show. So, and if you read Sean Britt's uh, bio as well, and the person I picked to have on the show, you can see why I picked her specifically to be on the show. All right. Good stuff there. Thanks for the question, Jerry. Got a question? Want us to argue with you? <laughs> Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. We won't argue with you. Uh, great stuff, Jerry. That's going to do it for today. Two quick things. Number one, thanks to everybody who's left us a review of this show. And by the way, I got a message from the guy that mom had on the refrigerator the other day, a crumbine. I called him crumbean. It's crumbine, OG. So mom. Crummy uh, pronunciation <laughs> on your part. We're so on fire. We still got it. So uh, apologies. I don't want uh, mom out there saying the wrong name, OG, when it comes to people on this show. So thanks to Crumbine for leaving a review. And also, uh, if we take a look at what's, what's on our refrigerator now, OG, do you know? You were just up there. Didn't see. Didn't, nice. Wasn't, wasn't paying attention. Probably something about how OG's an awesome podcast hosted. Here it is. I have the, the note right here. Five stars from, uh, from uh, how's, how's that for a transition, huh? I guess this show's okay overall, but one particular feature stands out over the rest. When Joe inserts some kind of awkward segue to a live read and then says to OG or the Friday panel, hey, how's that for a transition, huh? Classic. Can't get enough of it. Also, finance or whatever. Fantastic. Uh, if you can leave us a review like that, see how easy that was? Takes just a couple seconds, tells people what they're getting into when they get on the Stacking Benjamin show. That's going to do it for today. Last thing is this. OG and his firm are taking clients. So if uh, you need better help in your corner, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG and his team will take it from there. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, you've got it here, man. What should we have learned? Sure thing, Joe. I got this one. Hey, everybody. Today, we took some advice from Michelle Kagan and found out that we should start by learning the basics of real estate before we dive into the tough stuff. Real estate comes in lots of forms. And just because you don't want to flip homes or be a landlord doesn't mean you can't be a real estate investor. Second, in our headline segment, we learned what age is the perfect time to start collecting Social Security benefits. With just a little math, you could add thousands to your retirement nest egg. But the big lesson? Don't try to stump Joe's mom with trivia questions about APR. That woman is a real estate ninja. And if you're really smart, you won't bet her 20 bucks that she won't know the answer. Because uh, uh, she does. Almost always. Special thanks to Michelle Kagan for helping us understand the basics of real estate. You'll find Michelle's book, Real Estate 101, wherever books are sold. You'll find a link on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. 
Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just jumped the shark. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. And of course, thanks to Joe's mom for rubbing in the fact that I lost the bet. Not only do I owe her 20 bucks, but apparently I'm buying the sirloin tips at the sizzler tonight. My God, that woman just never lets up. OG just went and saw this movie. Not went and saw it. It was on an airplane. Oh, you, you actually rode on an airplane again. So you got to see a movie. Yeah. This movie I I've never heard of. I rode in an airplane in the back. I was not sitting in the left seat like normal. No? No. What happened there? I talked to American about it. Like they didn't. In fact, they were even tardy. They're like, hey, we you don't have the crew. And I'm like, I got this. Done. I know how to do it. I don't know if you like, know who you I am. The go button. And then at when you go really fast down the runway, you pull... The yoke back and the plane goes up. I don't know if you know this, but I have flown a Cirrus with an instructor a few times. <laughs> At least a hundred times. I am kind of a big deal. So, this, this is a 787. I got Pretty it. Pretty much is the same, right? <laughs> no difference. It's cool. So you guys have four engines instead of my one. All right, cool. Gotcha. This movie I've never heard of. It's called The Professor and the Madman. Let's listen to a clip. number 742 assigned to block two we have been attempting to make this dictionary for the last 20 years and i submit that the extraordinary the unconventional mr murray is the solution and our salvation the task is gigantic and impossible there is a way we'll ask them to read in search of the words that we want and get them to write the word on a slip of paper this is the good doctor. I'm proud to make your acquaintance, sir. I cannot believe my eyes. All right. Partners, word for word. My entire life, all that I pursued has been in preparation for this. It says between the genius and madness, I see we've got, man, we got some people here. We've got Steve Coogan. It's William Wallace. Yes. He just had to dust off his Braveheart accent. Mel Gibson back. Yep. After all of his stuff, he's been back in a couple movies yeah. lately, but you've got Sean Penn. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also see Steve Coogan, three, yeah. three interesting actors. What's going on here? So this movie is set in the uh, early 1900s, late 1800s, where the University of Oxford is trying to create the first Oxford Dictionary. And they have no idea how to do it. They can't figure out how to start, how to make it happen. And Mel Gibson's character, he kind of knows how to do it. And so he proposes this plan. He has a unique background. And so he proposes a plan of how to do it. Of course, they want it done in like two years. He's like, no, it's going to take 10. And the whole process of this was to go back through the etymology of every word to try to find out where it originally came from. And so, you know, they're asking people to look up, you know, where was the first time you saw this word? Show us a book that this word was printed in, you know, reference it so that they can draw this lineage on every word. And so they're kind of stuck on a couple of words. And Sean Penn's character, who is locked in an insane asylum for a whole bunch of reasons, sees their need for help. And he just happens to know all of these words. And so he has like, you know, he's got this library because he's not in prison, you know, so he has access to books and that sort of thing. So he starts helping out and they form this really kind of unique friendship. But it's kind of a dicey one because, you know, here's this guy that's working on behalf of Oxford, leaning on a guy who's in an insane asylum. Yeah. Who also has a very checkered past, you know, it takes place in England and he's in an insane asylum in England for a purpose that everyone knows. So if they knew that these two guys were working together, it would be kind of a bad deal. They form this friendship, and it's uh, I, I, I couldn't tell until the very end. I was like, is this a true story? Is it kind of made made up? Is it kind of, you know, and, and it allegedly is pretty much a true story. Oh, so, I hate that. That's not the answer uh, I wanted. Yeah. Everybody else likes the true story. Just give me give me some something that's, the whole based on a true story thing. Ugh. Well, they show at the end, they show pictures of the real people and you're like, oh, okay, I can see how they pulled those characters up. But, uh, you know, this is not a popcorn, shoot them up, blow them up movie. This is so, my kind of movie. This is uh, this is a very interesting flick. I liked it quite a bit, actually. You had so, no business watching this movie. This sounds like yeah. my kind of movie. Yeah. No, I had seen all the blow them up movies on the plane. So anyways, I, I, I liked it quite a bit, actually. Yeah. You'll like it too. Awesome. I, th- this, this is going on my list. I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to give it the OG. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put it yeah. on the list. Yeah. I'm never going to watch that ever, which is the code. No, I'm there's some, gonna, <laughs> this has got some screwed up stuff in it, but it's good. Well, it's I'm good getting on a plane, movie. as you know, in uh, just a few days. So this will be my plane go. movie. That's, that's what you can watch. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is, Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. 
visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.